All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call at our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 106 points, or three-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week is up about 80 points, or 1.8%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 275 points, or 2%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 4.1%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 4.7%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 9.4%. Well, I tell you what, there's been some uh, pretty interesting the last eight trading days on Wall Street. In fact, in the last eight trading days, the S&P 500 is up 8.6%. Um, and we were doing the calculations before the show. That's about a 63% retracement from the corrective low that occurred um, just a couple of weeks ago. It's just a couple of weeks ago. And, and it was actually on March 8th to be exact, which was the, uh, which was the low move of this for the S&P 500 for this correction where the S&P closed at 4,170 points. And it's not unusual for the market to retrace a, a certain percentage. You know, on average, you know, half, 60% of a, a, yeah, this was a, this has been a, a pretty, uh, aggressive downturn, if you, if you want to use that word. Uh, we haven't had a correction like this in a number of years, and the volatility continues. Uh, though here of late, the volatility has been mostly to the upside, but we have had a few multi-hundred-point down days mixed in there. You know, For us as money managers and other people that are you know, managing money that we listen to all day long on CNBC, who are mostly traders, they're not for the for the by and large the folks you you see, you see on CNBC are short term traders. Uh, we're all trying to figure out you know is this was that the low that we that we saw here a few weeks ago 
is this just a retracement and we're going to have to retest it again? Because uh, we have we have earnings, you know, upon us. And I think last week I was talking about the concerns that I had about what were these earnings going to be saying? What was the mix of earnings news going to be more towards a cautious outlook or companies bringing down their outlook? We actually saw a company in the week just past, I think it was Adobe, a stock that we own in our portfolio, do something that we haven't seen done in a corporate earnings announcement since the beginning of COVID. And that was, we're not going to give any guidance. Now, how many more companies might use that tactic in the when they announced their first quarter earnings here in April? Yes, Kyle. And, and when they and they said it, what did what did the stock trade down? Ten percent. It was down, but trace it, it were, the, I think well, the earnings was in line, but the outlook was, about, was a little below expectations. No, they they beat on the top and bottom line. It wasn't a huge beat. I mean, it was a slight beat on the top and bottom line when it came to earnings. And yes, when they didn't give forward guidance, they they were meandering between down nine and ten percent, eleven percent for for a period of time on the day after their earnings. But the one thing that I, that I wanted to, to talk about, and Jeff, you and I had this conversation earlier this past week, is when we got into the fourth quarter, quarter earnings of last year in February, I would say that, and this is kind of my personal feelings, that a, a lot of the companies that came out, because the earnings season was was decent. It was a good, decent earnings season for the fourth quarter, but a lot of the guidance was definitely dialed back, and this is when we saw some of these higher price earning multiple companies coming down 20, 30, 40, 50 percent, companies like EPAM. Which, which was down, you know, 75% off of its 52 week high after its fourth quarter earnings report. So then the one conversation, Jeff, you and I got into, I'd say the friendly debate that we got into as portfolio managers is even if these companies don't give guidance like Adobe did this past week, or they dial back forward guidance because a lot of these stocks have had their day in the barrel this quarter. Are they going to be taken back out to the barrel again when a lot of these companies are still 25, 30% below 52 week highs? Well, it, and that's, the, and that's the big debate. And that's the big it, debate it, Jeff it, and I have been having. I heard this a couple of times this week. It's a tug of war, a tug of war between the bulls and the bears. And I've seen more talking heads on CNBC and other uh, financial shows that traditionally are bearish be bullish and traditionally are bullish be bearish. So the reality of it is, Nobody really knows. If they tell you they are, are, are with some certainty, then they're, they really don't know. That's just my take. And that's well, what you we, have to, we struggle with too. So. Well, you, you have to take all the, uh, as, as a portfolio manager, the one thing that you cannot learn from a book when it comes to managing assets, you just can't learn it from a book. You can learn about technical indicators. You can learn about fundamentals, but there is the, art aspect of asset management and where you develop your art and your gut feeling as Jeff likes to talk about a lot is gut feeling because he's been doing, he's been at this for 30 years. You know, Joe, you and I 20, you know, coming on 25 plus years have been doing this, oh, but this uh, is the don't art talk about my gut though. Okay. No, yeah, I won't talk right. about your gut, but, but right. this is, Thank but you. this is the art aspect of asset management, and you're right, Joe, there is this tug of war, and investors don't know whether the market is coming or it's going. 
Jeremy Siegel, who's typically a, a bull when he's on CNBC. He has turned extremely bearish. But Jeremy and, Siegel doesn't manage money. Yes, yes, and but 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 he does. He he definitely is a voice of experience that people can listen to. But I've been not very at managing surprised. money. Not at managing money. Yes, but he has just experience of studying the market, and he has the affinity for the history of the market. But it has been very much a tug of war, and investors trying to handicap which direction the market is going. So let's hold right there. We'll pick up this conversation on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, just recapping uh, Wall Street from this past week. And before we went to commercial breakout, and we were talking about this earlier, is that the market is right now in between this tug of war. You know, is the market coming or is it going? We've seen a 63% retracement on the S&P 500 to the upside from the low, <clears throat> the low pullback, which, which really the bottom, or should say the support level currently on March the 8th of 4,170 points on the S&P 500. So we have now seen the S&P recover 8.6%, basically in the last eight trading days. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a very difficult market in this point in time in the shorter point, you know, the shorter time period. You know, for ourselves, being longer-term money managers, we're looking out six months, eight months, 12 months, but as we're coming into this earnings season, we've had to shorten our point of view when it comes to the portfolios as we're coming in to first quarter earnings. And as I was saying in the last segment, the debate and conversations that Jeff and I have gotten into during portfolio strategy meetings is, is a lot of the bad news that could be potentially coming out in the second quarter already baked into the current stock prices. Uh, because are, is it you mean you is it are yeah. it or okay is, yeah. yeah is exactly. is is the bad is the dialed back forward guidance or no forward guidance like adobe gave this past week is a lot of the bad news already priced into the stock is the bad news or for the most part the bad news priced into the stock market is a more hawkish fed looking to possibly raise interest rates a half of one percent in their May meeting, is that already priced into the market? So as the news comes in, are we going to see buying on the news where we've seen this quarter selling on more of the rumor? I, I think, I think from an interest rate perspective, when Powell was mentioning earlier, I believe in the week about a 50 bit raise in rates is, is very likely the market did take it in stride. So I think raising rates, we've, it, we've digested that, but to Jeff's point, how is that going to impact earnings and really Earnings outlooks going forward from these, especially these mega cap companies, that's that's where it gets a little murkier. 
so to speak. Well, it's hard, to, market, it's hard to forecast that. The markets digested it on that day. Never underestimate the ability of the market to go down on a piece of news two weeks later that it didn't go down on two weeks before. So I, just because it didn't go down that particular day doesn't mean another Fed governor or two more says it here in the next two or three weeks, and then it goes down on that. The news, the, the, the hawkish talk from, you know, I think there's a tug of war happening in the minds of the, the Federal Reserve governors. I think the chairman, there's this tug of war between are we going to go 25, are we going to go 50 basis points, and and it changes week to week to week of sentiment, the, the consumer sentiment numbers that came out on Friday, the worst in 10 years, home, all these home statistics that came out in the last week, new home sales, pending home sales were both negative, durable goods was negative, I don't want to sound like I'm, yeah, I've, I've gone out into the forest. And I've become the big woolly bear. Uh, <laughs> there wasn't anything in you economic, news, economic news this week that was necessarily bullish, but the markets went up. And you know, to me, this looks like a retracement uh, uh, at an otherwise downward trending mark, market. And these earnings to not repeat myself and sound like uh, an episode of The Bachelor when they keep telling us it's the biggest surprise in the history of the you, you know in you the history of the show. show. You watch that this, show Jeff. this this earn these earnings reports may be the most important earnings reports that we have heard in a number of years. Now, I'm saying that with a big smile. I know that you that no one listening to this can see that, but I think these earnings reports are very important. Jeff, they're, they're smiling because you, they know that you watch The Bachelor. Yeah, okay. they, they, might, they might be. That's they the might actually be. I've heard all week. Sorry. That's the biggest news I've heard all week. Not the Fed, not Russia. Jeff watches The well, Bachelor. Yeah. Anyway, your, oh, your wife, your wife gotta makes have, you watch. I got to have some junk TV. Uh, you know, your your wife makes you watch it. It's okay. So I do Back think your that board. these these earnings reports are the most important ones that we've heard in 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 quite some time. We're going to start those companies that are that are seeing their demand change, that are seeing issues with them being able to maintain their margins. Uh, we're going to start hearing about that just in a couple of weeks, and none of us know precisely who those companies are going to be. And the one thing that still has not happened that would really, in my opinion, give what I would call an investable you know, a truly investable bottom would be we haven't seen the big cap tech with the exception of Meta, aka Facebook, really come down off their, you know, from their from their all time highs. A lot of other stocks have. They have not. And one of the you know, my opinion, one of those this next quarter is going to get taken out to the woodshed on an earnings report. I think it's Apple. Uh, just because of all their all the things that they need to make their products, uh, I don't. I'm not. I'm not. You know, the Google and Microsoft they don't have as much input costs. They're not. You know, raw materials, things like that that could affect, be affected by inflation. Apple's the thing that the one that concerns me the most out of the out of the mega cap techs. If one of those has, you know, gives it, whether it's the earnings, whether it's the outlook, will be could be the motivating factor that we go down to test these lows and maybe go lower 
Because so we never got to the official we never got to an official bear market down off the highs in the Dow and the S and P. I believe we touched it in the Nasdaq briefly. Yes. Yes. Uh, but we didn't get there on the S we didn't get there in the S and P and Dow. Yeah, Joe. So basically supply chain is getting what we're looking at, especially with a lot of these earnings, is the tail of the pandemic. So when the pandemic started, we're seeing the tail end of what the pandemic has brought with supply chain issues, and particularly what Jeff was just talking about with Apple. And that's what is, and how much does the market realize supply chain issues are going to be the cover for some of these companies not to forecast positive right. earnings or, or not project? I'm going, to, I'm going to say something here, you know, and y'all can take me out to the woodshed on this. I'm tired of hearing about the pandemic and it being part of all these numbers. It's like when we talk about, you know, dad wants to beat us upside the head and talking about the Fed too much. We're talking, the pandemic, you know, it's, you know, with the supply chain issues are about people not going back to work and it has nothing to do with the pandemic. It's like we, they just can't get workers to come in and work. But they you also know? can't, and we, and we, but and we can't do anything and we can't do anything about China shutting down entire cities because of their particular issue, the way that they run things over there with COVID. But, you know, but, but there, but there, but there, but there's a cause and effect. That's but the there is the a cause, cause and effect. There is a cause point. and effect, Jeff. What you said, people That's not going point. back to works. So they're not in factories making really? microchips. So the microchips of- and the semiconductors are not getting made. So then they can't go and put them into cars. And so then that causes very little supply with this. But now, over, but now, this, interest rates, large now, but now interest rates have shot up and people aren't leasing cars anymore. There's nothing because, to lease. Because, because, no, That's the problem. Because, but well, here's the other thing that's happening is is people want to switch out of a lease car, one lease car to the other, but the prices have gone up so much. Now they're just sticking with their car. They're not they're they're, they're not trading in their old lease car. So there's so there's a there's a lack of supply in the used car market, which is driving up the price of used cars. So it's more than just it's more but it's than going to take but, time. But but, but this know, will work itself yeah. out over it's, time. That's over what time. I'm saying. But we've been is saying that, that now for the last year. Jeff, it's gonna. I think this is gonna run well into 2023. Exactly. Before we start working this, before we start working this out, exactly. but inflation, that means higher but inf- inflation for longer. That means higher inflation for longer. That means interest rates continuing to rise. How much did interest rates go up this week? The market's totally ignored interest rate increases this week. They did I, nothing. I, I, I don't know that the, right. the markets aren't going to ignore interest rate increases forever. If we go up another 20 basis points next week, and now we're pushing, now we're pushing. Two and three quarters percent on the ten-year treasury. The markets are going to take notice of that. They can ignore it for a week, but that doesn't mean they're going to ignore it the next week if it goes up another twenty, twenty-five basis points, right? But from an investment so, standpoint, even if the ten-year treasury was at three percent and inflation, let's say, running at eight, you have a net real return of a minus five. So that's not going to be putting investors on easy street. So it comes right back to the TINA acronym. There is no alternative. So this is the reason why, again, markets can continue to move higher in a rising interest rate environment because they're coming off absolute zero low. They're coming off from the absolute bottom. So before I know we, we got a commercial break coming up, Jeff, but I, you ran right into my point. So all I'm saying is that even though interest rates are, are coming up from a historic standpoint, our listeners, some of our listeners will remember when a mortgage with good credit was double digits. 
and we're just not there yet. And I don't think we're going to be there any time in the near future. So let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, before we went to the bottom of the hour break, I was making a point and the break kind of cut me off a little bit. So I just wanted to recap. So again, talking about having inflation higher for longer because we, again, have to work off a lot of the supply chains. We've been talking about this ad nauseum on the program. The Federal Reserve now having to move on the federal funds rate, pushing interest rates higher to help stave off some of this inflation. And as I've been saying on this program, they have tools in their toolbox, but they have a bunch of flathead screwdrivers when they need a Phillips head because a lot of the inflation that's been created is from the pandemic. Now, fuel, we understand what's happened with fuel. Horrible policies coming out of Washington, and then this Russia-Ukraine thing is definitely not helping situation. On food inflation, the Russian-Ukraine conflict is definitely not going to be helping on that end. But I think there's some other areas of inflation that will start to tick down as time goes on. But, yeah, I have a feeling it's going to be well into 2023. It took us time to get to this position with higher inflation. It's going to take us time for it to work itself out. But that doesn't mean that you don't own any stocks in your portfolio because even if the 10-year Treasury was at 3% and inflation stays at 8%, you still have a – net real return of a negative 5%. So you, again, I think investors have forgotten stocks are used in your portfolio to help outpace monetary inflation over the life of the portfolio. I think some investors forget that, that point, you know, you cannot own a hundred percent fixed income or a hundred percent cash and be comfortable in retirement unless you have expenditures so incredibly low and a portfolio or nest egg so incredibly large that you don't care about monetary inflation or purchasing power. Because inflation is the silent killer. It's the silent killer of purchasing power. And so we have to keep that in mind. And so I go right back to the acronym. There is no alternative when it comes to stocks. And with the way some of these stocks have pulled back this 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 past quarter, and yes, we're coming in, to the first first quarter earnings reports. And there's going to be a lot of hand-wringing and a lot of parsing of every word that comes out from what's in the earnings report, what the forward guidance is going to be. I know Jeff's in the camp that some of these stocks could be still taken back out to the woodshed and pummeled, maybe down 15 or 20%. I think a lot of the pummeling personally took place uh, this quarter from the fourth quarter earnings report. And I know Jeff is, has been waiting for one of these big five tech names outside of Meta, formerly of Facebook, formal, formerly known as Facebook, 
an Apple, a Microsoft, an Amazon, or a Google potentially having their day in the barrel. Right, Jeff? So I want to ask you all, and we know this is like a rhetorical question. Our portfolio right now is about 50, or our individually managed uh, portfolio is about 54 to 55% stocks and the rest fixed income and cash, which kind of reflects what our feeling is right now. Meaning in times of uncertainty, where do you want to be as an investor? Where do you want to be in your portfolio? I'm trying to gear this back down to what, you know, investors or people that are investing for the long term. How do you position yourself when everybody has a different opinion on Wall Street, sometimes even at Davis Capital Management? How do you position your portfolio going forward? And you got to remember, there's a book called Stocks for the Long Term, you know? So, well, I can tell you this, and some of the portfolio reviews that I've done here recently, uh, before we got into the quarter, basically the fourth quarter of last year when I was doing portfolio reviews and analysis, the one thing I saw every single time was an overallocation to stock based on the prospective client's risk capacity. I mean, I saw prospective clients 85, 88, 90% allocated to stocks well into their 60s, which is a completely inappropriate allocation from a risk capacity standpoint. And our listeners have to understand there is a difference between risk tolerance, which is your personal aversion to risk, and risk capacity. Risk capacity is how much of a hit can your portfolio take and how much time do you have to make up a significant loss if we have a protracted pullback in the market like we've seen the first quarter of 2022? Are you still working? I don't know. Are you still making contributions? You know, these are the things that you have to take into to account. Are you withdrawing money in retirement? I mean, if you're withdrawing money from your portfolio and you're in retirement and you ended 2021 with an 80, 85, 90% allocation to stocks and you're retired and your advisor has done nothing in your portfolio since then, you might want to pick up the phone and ask them why. First off, why was I in such an aggressive allocation in my stage of life being retired drawing money for my retirement, but then why haven't you done anything in my portfolio in this first quarter? Taking profits, you know, making allocation adjustments, changing the security base in my portfolio to provide a little bit more downside protection. What are you doing? And that's a question that I would ask to any of our listeners who are working with another investment professional is if you haven't seen any changes in your portfolio whatsoever, especially from an allocation standpoint. And if you're sitting 75, 80, 85% in stocks and you're in your mid to late fifties or early to mid sixties, that would be a big important question to ask. Why? It, one thing I want to point out, you're talking about the withdrawal, uh, a withdrawal stream. And when you reach the point in your life, when you're actually accumulated what you need to accumulate, and you're withdrawing uh, down on your, you're drawing your retirement income out of, of your 401k or IRA. The one thing that you can control, and I, I was doing some 401k education earlier this week, investment performance is important. Fees are important. But when you're trying, you're in that accumulation phase, it's not nearly as important as making sure you're putting enough money away in your retirement account, especially since everybody's getting ready to pay taxes, uh, in about 15, well, on April 18th. Yeah, April 18th. To make sure that is the one thing from an accumulation standpoint, use the software. That's in your 401k plan. Make sure the investment performance 
is important, but it's not nearly as important as making sure you're taking advantage of that and putting enough money away on a tax-deferred basis or using a Roth in a 401k. And I, I can't emphasize that enough. It doesn't really matter what, you, what your returns are if you're putting 2 or 3% in and you need really 5 or 6 from a deferred well, standpoint. Well, well, again, from, from an allocation standpoint, as we always say, you know, allocation is, is one of the great first lines of defense in your portfolio is how you're actually allocated in your portfolio. And, uh, and unfortunately, we do not recommend anyone in their late 50s, early 60s, mid 60s, even if you're still accumulating in your nest egg to be 90, 95, 100% in stocks. And we've talked about this on, on the Money Wise program. The last three years, you know, 2019, 2020, 2021 has created this complacency with investors. They think, oh, the stock market goes up double digits every single year. I need to be pedal to the metal at all times and just set it and forget it. Setting it and forget it, setting it and forgetting it is extremely dangerous. That is not a wise investment management philosophy at all. You have to have a proper allocation from a risk capacity standpoint, and risk capacity is going to be based primarily on your age. And we've worked with prospective clients that have risk tolerances like a 20-year-old, but they have a risk capacity that's in line with their age. And so we have to educate those prospective clients that they need to bring their risk tolerance and risk capacity more in line with what's prudent with what's prudent for the longevity and for the protection of the nest egg and all the years they worked hard putting that money away for a comfortable retirement. And it's markets like this where we see these protracted corrective moves. Now, before the whole Ukraine-Russia thing, this, I would say, was pretty much a run-of-the-mill garden variety corrective move for, for the most part. I don't know if you would agree with me, Jeff. When you were calling on the bachelor, are you just, are you just listening to me talk? I'm the bachelor rebuttal. Yeah, I'm still upset about getting beat up for watching the bachelor. I'm not beating you up. (laughs) I'm not beating you up at all. I just, I'm Uh, trying to to bring a little entertainment to the money wise. My ego is still hurt. No. Oh, Uh, stop. Run of the mill, run of the mill correction. You know, they, they all, in retrospect, they look like run of the mill. They don't feel like it when you're in the middle of them because you don't know if, that correction is turning it into something much more deep, you know, whether it's a, a bear or it's a protracted bear market, you never know. So I, I just, I don't think that, I think, I think investors might get a little overconfident when you have a correction and then you have this retracement and the, oh, well, it must be over. And, you know, the water is no clearer today than it was when this correction began, no clear. There are no resol. There is no resolution in the Russia-Ukraine issue. I haven't seen a resolution in inflation. We don't have the earnings numbers, so we can't determine whether a company can justify its growth rate and therefore justify its stock price going forward. And so, until those things become a little more, and we we don't know what what we know that interest rates are going up. We just don't know how far and how fast, right? So none of the, everything is still just as unclear as it was when this started. So to me, you have to, you have to have an asset allocation in your portfolio that reflects that uncertainty. And it can't, like Kyle said, it can't be the same way it was a year ago because this is a totally different market a year later. 
All right. Well, let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast or Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in the last segment, we were just talking about risk capacity, risk tolerance, asset allocation, you know, being a, a good first line of defense, but also active management. And as the points we we're making in the last segment is that if you're in a similar or identical asset allocation model that's highly allocated to stocks as you were in 2021 and you've gone through the entire first quarter with this very similar, if not identical asset allocation working with another advisor or someone on the financial sell side of the business, I would be picking up the phone and asking the question, why? And I bet you 9.9 times out of 10, the answer is going to be stay the course. And the reason why they say stay the course is because they don't manage assets. They don't manage assets. They just say, stay the course, stay long-term, stay looking further down the road. This will all work itself out. I sure, the management it, fees, but I'm not going to do any managing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Over the long-term, yes. Statistically speaking, since 1926, the, the S&P 500, the stock market, has been positive 74% of the time. Okay, that's great. But... If you're in a situation where you're just getting ready to go into retirement and now you're taking income from your nest egg, the whole key of why you have to actively manage your portfolio and why you have to have an appropriate asset allocation for your risk capacity is because you have to look at your nest egg as like it's a golden goose. The bigger you keep your golden goose, the bigger the golden eggs it's going to be producing. Now, we saw during the financial crisis some of these golden gooses getting cut by 50% by staying the course. And by staying the course and staying in the same asset allocation model, it took them years to get back to the size they were. But it took years. And during these years, you're still taking withdrawals. So you're taking 50% of your golden goose and still pulling golden eggs from it at a, at a level of, of withdrawals prior to the pullback of the size of that golden goose. Does that make sense? So that means your golden goose is getting smaller at a faster and faster pace. And so, yes, Jeff, you wanted to say something? No. No. So, so again, I just keep harping on asset allocation being a key. Now, as we've talked about on this program, at the very beginning of the year, we anticipated that this year was going to be more volatile and that the conditions for a 10-plus percent corrective move was going to be occurring sometime this year, and there might not be just one. Now, we didn't anticipate that it was going to begin starting January the 4th, But on January the 3rd, the one thing that we did in all of our clients' portfolios across the board is we made changes to the index base of our portfolio. 
to diversify further away from single stock risk, meaning that we wanted not a single stock in the portfolio, whether you're in our asset builder program where we own mutual funds and exchange traded funds or individual stock and bond portfolio that owns a little bit of uh, exchange traded funds with individual stocks and individual bonds. We wanted to make sure that not a single portfolio owned more than 1% of any particular stock to help batten down the hatches and provide a greater level of protection in the portfolios and what we felt 2022 was going to be a much more volatile year, and that has already played out. And so far as we've seen through Friday's close, the changes that we made to the index base has outperformed the broader market. All the dramatic changes we made on the fixed income side of our portfolio is outperforming the broader fixed income market from those changes. Now, they're still negative numbers, but they are less negative because what builds and maintains long-term wealth in your portfolio, it's not capturing every percentage point on the upside when the markets are moving higher. It's about keeping your hole shallower on the downside and playing a better defense because the shallower your hole is on the downside, the faster recovery you will have when the markets make a turn to the upside. And so this past week, what have we been doing in our portfolios? We have been slowly, incrementally rebalancing individual positions. We did it in a couple stocks this past week. We have bought a new stock in the individual stock and bond portfolio, a a defense contractor. Now, we only bought a half position from an allocation standpoint because we want to wait to hear its earnings as we get into first quarter earnings season. So we bought a half position of it, but we also did some rebalancing in our index base from the changes we made on January 3rd, the slight pullbacks we've seen in those positions from this corrective move, and from the cash that we have raised during this corrective move, we had dry powder available to rebalance these positions. And so incrementally, we've probably added about two, maybe two and a half percent in total to the stock side of our portfolio. So that's what we have been doing. But if you're in an allocation that is just set it and forget it and you have no dry powder to take advantage of these pullbacks, if there's been no profit taking, like we have done a ton of profit taking so far in this first quarter. And yes, we have wholesale sold some, some positions in our individual stock and bond portfolios that were losing positions. We took the loss, we cut our losses and we moved on. You know, we're not going to hit the ball over the fence every single time you're at the plate. You know, the key to money management is if you can, out of 10 stock choices, if you can have six to seven winners, you're going to have three to four losers. That's just the nature of asset management. But being able to identify those three to four losers and just getting out of them and moving out of them, that's what you have to do. To me, the markets look like we're going to be in a situation like we had in 2014 and 2015. We're going to be in a range that's going to go on for an extended period of time. The top of that range at this point appears to be the the highs that we reached on January the 4th. Um, the low is yet to be determined. Um, I don't think the low that we saw two weeks ago is the low. I think there's a lower low, and that lower low is probably going to be triggered sometime between now 
And after the next Federal Reserve rate increase, which won't occur until first week May, of May, first week of May, I think the low will probably be before summer comes upon us. Uh, but I think we just, we're going to be in this range bound market and it's going to be tough to make money in, it's going to be impossible to make money in bonds and it's going to be very difficult to make money in, in stocks. And I say impossible in bonds, I mean owning individual bonds. Our strategy is very novel this year and has definitely contributed uh, to the performance of the portfolio with these novel changes that we did here at the beginning of 2022. And, the and, again, and again, if you'd like a portfolio review and analysis, you can reach us in our office, 800-275-2162. Well, we're coming up to the top of the hour, so we're going to take the break, go into the news, and when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with more investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. We are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So for the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, um, as we normally use the second hour to go into investor education, you know, there was a, a topic and a subject matter that uh, that I've wanted to to talk about for some time, and I've been thinking about it all week, and it, and it really talks about uh, investors' behavior and improving investors' behavior. And so doing some research and really where this spur, you know, really where I got the spark to want to look into this and research it is several weeks ago, uh, Dalbar released a study and they release a study on an annual basis talking about investor behavior and their typical rates of return. Um, and, and what their experience has been as managing money of their on their own. And, and from time to time when I meet with prospective clients and current clients, we talk about investor psychology and how investor psychology can do a lot of damage to portfolios. So in my research, I actually ran across a presentation that was put together by the mutual fund family Munder. I want to give them the credit for, for putting this presentation together, which I thought was just fantastic presentation that I wanted to pass along to our listeners because it's got a lot of good food for thought, but it also includes some of these Dalbar statistics about investor psychology and the rates of return that individual investors have been achieving over a very long period of time, in fact, a 20-year time period, and how critical it is to have the connection with an investment professional to assist them, but also how to not allow humans, the, your human psyche become a roadblock to investing for your future. So 
looking at this presentation, you know, historic and historic invested investment behavior really threatens the ability to accomplish obje- objectives and achieve re- and achieve returns. The result is is that investors are not going to reach their goals, whether it be retirement, saving for higher education, what have you. Investment returns may be far more dependent on investment behavior than market performance. And so investors who hold their investments typically are going to earn a higher return over time than those who attempt to time the market. And there's an old saying that that I use is it's about time in the market and not timing. So looking at emotional decisions, you know, these emotional decisions are often based on biases and not objective analysis. So potential investor problems that folks run into is identifying, first they're looking and trying to identify trends that don't exist in the marketplace. Uh, They also overweight information in the press. That brings up the example that we've talked about for many years of the client that came in to our office in 2008 and wanted us to liquidate his accounts because Glenn Beck told him that he needed to liquidate all of his investments. That's a a particularly egregious example of someone overweighing information from someone in the press that has absolutely no investment experience whatsoever and as a matter of fact has a bias towards promoting a investment philosophy that enriches their advertisers which in turn enriches the person that is delivering the message i.e. all the gold ads that you hear on shows like Glenn Beck or uh, the, the the conserv really the conservative side of the aisle. I'm trying to think of some of those other guys. Glenn Beck, uh, Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity. You know, you listen to these shows. Every one of them's got a gold ad on. I think Limbaugh, as at one time, may still. I haven't listened to Limbaugh in so long. Run runs gold ads. Mm-hmm. And and you know, and again, we talk about on the show all the time about overweighting the information from the press. Because, again, this 24-hour news cycle we feel is doing a lot more damage to the investor psyche than if they just turned it off and tune it out a little bit more. Or if they do continue to listen to it, to take things with a little bit of a grain of salt and realize that the information is going to be coming to them with a certain bent to it, depending upon who's the person that's providing the information. So, you know, something else talking about emotional decisions and, and, and decisions based on bias and not objective analysis. You know, a lot of investors, I mean, investors giving greater weight to the equivalent amount of gains and losses. And really it comes down to, and, and I ask this question all the time of prospective clients or even current clients, is remembering losses more than gains. And that's one thing that, that in particular really holds investors back is is always having i mean losses from 2000 losses from 2008 still being so fresh in the front of their mind uh, that's holding them back from making decisions to get involved with the stock market you know something else from emotional decision standpoint is overestimating their own ability to manage their wealth and i know with a lot of the self-help books out there with a lot of the blogs and a lot of the websites i think there's a false sense of security that can be built into an investor's mindset saying, you know what, I can do this on my own and I can do better doing this part-time on my own. And I can tell you, 
you know, with 70 plus years of combined experience sitting in the studio, we can tell you that you cannot manage money part time and be successful over the long term. It's just cannot happen. It will not happen because things move so much quicker in this day and age. And then finally, you know, this all can lead to repeatedly making the same mistakes when you have these biases and you don't take an objective analysis when it comes to investing. So let's talk about the identifying of trends or patterns where none exist. You know, one thing that individual investors do all the time is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the hot stock or chasing the hot investment du jour for many years. Hot asset class. Hot asset class. For many years, it's been what? Precious metals. It's been all about gold. The late 90s was internet stocks. Uh, and then, but gold here, especially this century, uh, or really precious metals in general, had been one of the hottest areas. And then, you know, here uh, lately, in the last uh, three, four years, it's been social media. Uh, we've got the Amazons of the world, the Teslas of the world, mm-hmm. uh, th- that have been certainly being chased uh, by, by investors and bidding them up quite a bit. They've had co- they've had a, a pretty. Uh, Good correction here in the last few months, which I think has contributed to the, the, this market uh, kind of so not experiencing the kind of gains that we thought that that should have here in the first four months of the year. And and before we go to the commercial break, another issue that investors run into is the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict when trends will reverse themselves and feeling that they're a, a good timer of knowing when to pull the trigger. So we're going to pause right there, take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investment behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So talking about improving investor behavior, going through a presentation, talking about investor psychology, before we went to commercial break, we were talking about a lot of issues that investors run into, in particular those that are that are managing their own assets. And one one big issue that investors run into is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the stock du jour or the sector du jour. Uh, we also talked about the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict trends are going to – being able to identify and predict when trends are going to reverse themselves – uh, another issue that that individual investors run into is focusing on investments doing well, but ignoring those investments that are not doing well in their portfolio. And I've run into this quite often when I do portfolio reviews and analysis, when I, I talk to prospective clients that are very happy about being in a position that pays a 10, 12, 13% dividend yield, and they're completely honed and focused in on the fact that they're giving a 12 to 13% dividend yield, and they're not realizing that they've lost 50% or 75% of their original investment, of their principal, because the value of the stock has just plummeted, but they were dazzled by just the yield. 
so let's talk about uh, Dalbar. Now, Dalbar is a company that was gathering a lot of investor data. Uh, they've been doing this for years and years and years. They just came out with a report that has information through 2013. And so what Dalbar found in their survey is that clients are motivated by two main emotions, and we've talked about them on this show for years and years and years. The two emotions are fear and greed. They're not motivated by sound investment practice. Investment returns are typically increase when there is a disciplined behavior. And, I mean, that's one thing that we've preached on the Money Wise program going back to 2005. It's about having a very strict philosophy, as we do here at Davidson Capital Management, as a balanced manager. A, a disciplined behavior has many different that's aspects. Right. You know, one of those, and I think one of the most important parts of being disciplined is, especially in a retirement account, is participating in your 401K, contributing as as much as you can if you can contribute the maximum amount to your 401k that obviously that's going to give you the the highest probability of reaching your investment goals in retirement contributing that money every single month and investing on a consistent basis time and time again and I've got dozens of examples of clients that are in identical investments over long periods of time, and the ones that are contributing to their accounts on a monthly, bi-weekly basis are outperforming those clients that don't contribute anything at all with identical investments, identical allocations, because it gives us, the, the investment manager, the ability to, to buy, could always be in the market, Buying securities, maybe you know, like right now, we've had opportunities to buy some of these funds at lower prices because the markets have been down. Mm-hmm. And by dollar cost averaging all the time, and having the discipline to contrib- contributing to your retirement, and even if you're not contributing, if you if you've maxed out your 401k and you still have money that's left over to to put into some sort of retirement account. Get a, get a tax, get a, just a, a regular brokerage account, start contributing consistently to that one, too, and investing consistently in, in, that, in that type of account. Over the long period, it is going to pay tremendous dividends. That's right. So, as you said, Jeff, disciplined behavior could mean investment philosophy and strategy. It could mean paying yourself first and participating and saving for your nest egg. Now, the Dalbar study also... Uh, went and calculated the guest right ratio. And what the guest right ratio is is the percentage of time the average equity investor correctly guessed the direction of the market over a 20-year period ending December 31st of 2012 was 63%. So a little bit more than half. Now, granted, how do they gather this data? I have no idea. I'm not sure. I mean, again, they have some type of matrix and process they go through to gather this data. The bottom line is investors are driven to do the wrong thing by the psychological factors that overtake their rational decision making. And that's what they that's again what what Dalbar is finding in their studies. And so as we get further into this Dalbar study, we look at uh investors are driven to do the wrong thing by psychological factors that overtake rational decision making and so they've actually listed a number of 
psychological factors that every investor has when they're going through their decision-making process. And so this kind of going through all of these that are presented by Dalbar, the first one is we have loss aversion. And this is when an investor is expecting to find high returns with low risk. And I think that's any utopian dream of any investor is being able to get a high rate of return with little to no well, risk. Well, isn't this in kind of a, a selling or a attempted selling point for equity index annuities? Oh, brother, did you hit that one right on the head? You're absolutely right. I mean, they use this psych. I mean, again, marketing firms are looking at psychological factors that drive investors' decision making, and they're putting it into their presentations. And like you said, this loss aversion, all the upside, none of the downside. Every, throwing the guaranteed word right. out there is what it's. We're psychologically wired to be attracted to those kinds of pitches. And so this loss aversion causes the investor to search for investments that either don't exist and results in either taking no action or later discovering that the selected investment fails to meet their expectations, a la equity indexed annuities. And, and let's give an example. Recently, you, we, we'd, we've seen all sorts of equity indexed annuities over the years. Yes. And I can tell you that our typical experience for an investor that has held an equity indexed annuity, say over at least a five year time period, that they typically return about a third of what you would have received had you just put the money into an S and P five hundred index fund. Oh, if you're just talking straight S and P, it's even it's even less than a third, Jeff. It's less than a third. I did a comparison on a most recent prospective client of our moderate allocation, our middle of the road more conservative allocation model that we use with more retirees or pending retirees at Davidson Capital Management, and their returns were a third or worse compared to our returns in a balanced allocation. So if you're talking 100% stock... So, so what we mean by a third or worse, like for five years, the the moderate allocation might have returned 65% total return mm -hmm. over a five-year period. Net of fees and expenses. Net of all fees, all expenses. And an, an equity index annuity might have returned uh, 20% or less. Yeah. Total return. Total return. And the, re and the difference between the two is... Well, that 40% is going to the insurance company. So, you know, talking about these psychological factors, again, we talked about loss aversion. Another one is narrow framing, and that's when you make decisions without considering all the implications. The result is a quick decision-making with the consequences that facts are uncovered after inappropriate investments are made. So you make a quick decision, and then you uncover some more facts after the fact that you made that decision and you're like, uh-oh. This fits very well with that example I just used about that the client that came in and said, liquidate my portfolio because Glenn Beck said to. And then, what, one week later, two weeks later, Glenn Beck went on, on air and said, hey, I'm I, a schlub. I, I, I said this on my show here recently, but don't listen to me because I don't know anything about investments. So the, the inappropriate investment that was made was pulling the investments. That's that right. was the inappropriate investment, was taking everything out and putting it into cash. That's right. So here's another psychological factor that affects investors and their decision-making is anchoring. Now, anchoring is a very powerful communication method, but can mislead investors 
unless it is used with caution. So investors can be misled about the stability of an investment if analogies are used to represent stability. And analogies of growth can also lead to unrealistic beliefs and expectations. Again, leads back to indexed annuities. When I read this, I just think of sales pitches that are more prevalent in the marketplace and even on different radio shows across the state. And again, using now this psychological effect of anchoring, you know, presenting and misleading investors with the stability and the potential performance of this and, product. And, and we've been mentioning equity index annuities, for example, but there are other examples such as private placement, REITs. That's right. You know, they're sold based on their yield, but mm-hmm. we kind of gloss over the fact that how illiquid they are and how the the value of the security could go down and how those 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 aspects of the investment are not discussed but the focus is all on the yield that's right and and not and not you know can i get my money out if i need to liquidate how fast can i get a hold of my money and what is going to be the underlying value of my principal investment kind of going back to that i'm getting a 10 percent yield but I've lost 50% of my principal investment. Well, how is that beneficial to your portfolio? Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investor behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our presentation in the second hour of improving investor behavior and, and again, going into... Uh, Psychological factors that Dalbar, who is a a financial industry information gathering company that does a lot of surveys, you know, I wanted to do something talking about the psychological factors and psychological effects that individual investors have uh, or, or how the psychological mindsets can can hurt investors portfolios over the long term and so we were going through the different psychological factors that have this effect we talked about loss aversion and narrow framing and anchoring but we talk about next is mental mental accounting and that's when you take undue risk in one area and avoid rational risk in others and I would say the best example, Jeff, in this area would be in precious metals. That would be that would be one area. I could I would also say that in the, to us in this market environment, taking risk in long maturity fixed income securities. That's right. And avoiding the the quote unquote risk that is inherent in, in investing in stocks to us, and this may seem odd to some people listening to the show is we believe there's more risk in owning long maturity fixed income securities whether they be municipal government corporate than there is in owning the equivalent stocks of the same companies we see more risk in owning a 30-year exxon bond than we do maybe owning exxon stock or at&t or verizon or you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other companies 
So even though you're talking about gold in particular, because we've seen a lot of uh, many clients that have, that have had large positions in gold, but I could also say the same thing for cash. You know, just plain yeah. old straight cash. They're, the risk that they're take, uh, investors are taking by having large amounts of cash in their portfolios is they're not getting any growth whatsoever. So, so mental accounting can be as damaging to returns as any other psychological factor, since investors can be misled into inappropriate investments. Uh, another psychological factor that can affect your portfolio. Now, this is interesting, diversification. Now, in diversification, you're obviously seeking to reduce risk, but simply using different sources. Now, it's extremely valuable investment strategy, but can also be misused to create a false sense of protection that results in potential return-killing action. And I think the best example of this, Dad, is you talk about Jim Cramer when people call up and say, am I diversified? Yes. And they have three or four stocks. Five. Yeah, five stocks saying, am I diversified? And Cramer's saying, well, you're in this industry, you're in that industry. Yeah, you're diversified. So you have your entire portfolio in five stocks. That is not, in our opinion, diversification. Something else where diversification saying, yeah, I'm diversified. What if you owned a bunch of different companies in the same industry? And I hate to quit picking on gold, but gold miners, for instance. I have reviewed a portfolio this year that had a ton of different gold miners and and different precious metal miners. And guess what? They feel that they're diversified, but they're concentrated in one industrial arena. And so that's, again, when we talk about diversification, we're talking stocks, bonds, large cap, mid cap, small cap, international bonds, domestic bonds, short maturity bonds, cash, cash. That's diversification. It's not five stocks of five different industrial companies and that's it. Or having 15 companies in one industrial sector, that's not diversification. So be very, very careful and understand what true diversification means. Uh, Another psychological factor, according to Dalbar, and this is a classic, hurting. Copying the behavior of others, even in the face of unfavorable outcomes. Investors that go along with the crowd, simply because there is a crowd, tend to avoid catastrophic errors, but seldom achieve above-average results. High returns are not achieved by herding. And, I mean, again, that herd mentality, I mean, it has been reported in so many different publications how... You know, again, long-term success. I mean, even t- thinking more of a contra- you know, being more of a contrarian, as opposed to following the herd. Another psychological factor is regret. You know, treating errors of commission, which basically means decisions that you have made, you're treating them more seriously than errors of omission or a decision that you should have made. That basically means being extremely hard on yourself for deciding to buy this stock or this mutual fund as opposed to something else. And investors who defer, who fear decision-making lose their upside potential through inaction or reversal. Inaction can prevent losses caused by poor decisions but is unlikely to produce higher potential returns. So again, inaction. You don't want to have inaction. Another psychological effect, media response. Before you go into that, yeah. I think the inaction kind of ties in with, with folks overestimating their own ability to manage their, their wealth. That's right. Because they get too busy. Mm-hmm. 
and when you get too busy, you you, you and you run out of time, or you're too tired, you got other responsibilities, then you can't you cannot take the you can't set aside enough time to really look at your portfolio, understand what's going on, and take action when action needs to be taken. That's right. And so here's another one that, again, goes along with the media. Media response. It's a tendency. It's another psychological effect. It's a tendency to react to news without reasonable examination. Going back to that Glenn Beck example, familiar media sources have become less reliable as they compete with newer, faster, and low-cost outlets. At the same time, new media outlets seldom have very thorough authentication. The question of reliability rises, raise, excuse me, raises the concern about reacting to news. So again, that media response, and we've talked about that ad nauseum on this program. And then a finally, psychological factor that holds back and affects investors' portfolios over the long term is optimism. Now, Dad, I know we've used on this program. What's the bad four-letter word? Hope. Hope. The belief that good things happen to me and bad things happen to others. Optimistic investors hold on to investments after it becomes evident that losses are not likely to be recovered. Holding on to poor investments is yet another way psychological factors can reduce potential returns. Hope is a bad four-letter word. So with all this said, let's talk about the performance of the average equity investor. And this is a 20-year statistic, and this is through 12-31-2013. According to Dalbar, the average equity investor's return for 20 years annualized is 5.02%. Now, here's the tough pill to swallow. The S&P 500 index, same time period, up 9.22%, almost double what the individual average equity investor has realized in their portfolio for a 20-year time period because of the psychological factors that we just went over. I mean, I think that speaks volumes. I'd be curious, and I know you didn't do this, I'd be curious to know what a, a moderate allocation portfolio had done during that time period. I know it, it's going to be close to that. To I mean, when we're talking about the S&P 500, we're talking about a 100% stock portfolio, which is not something that we would recommend to any of our listeners to put 100% of their investments in stock. The optimum rate of return for us lies somewhere between these two numbers. but Because you know, 5% is very low. You know, most people plugged into their their investment projections for the future when they were when they're trying to figure out how much money they needed for retirement and and they and they used a particular rate of return in their investment portfolio. Uh, I don't think anybody was using five percent. Well, a twenty-year bond twenty years ago would have yielded more than five percent. Mm-hmm. Which means if you just bought a 20-year bond 20 years ago and held it for the 20 years, you would have done better than the average investor from the study. I, I think the average, in stock. Yeah, the average investor, by and large, I, I would say, sold sells out at the bottom and is slow to get back in again. Well, you know, I, I think, again, Jeff, when you when you allow your emotions to dictate your buys and sells, I mean, I think emotion 
and along with these psychological factors that we went into, but emotion, your emotion, your emotional attachment to your assets and your nest egg, again, I, I think is what's causing so many investors to make these bad decisions. And one huge advantage of having a professional money management team like a Davidson Capital Management, an RIA that has discretionary control, is they help separate that emotion from your nest egg because you're relying on their expertise and their experience of being in the trenches of managing assets to make those decisions for you. You're you're separating your site those psychological factors from your assets because they're out of your control. And by taking those assets out of your control, that's eliminating is it's eliminating a lot more emotion and it becomes a lot more difficult for you to try to pull the wrong trigger on making a decision in your portfolio you know and you know again an old saying that investors would have i mean here's something an investor would say to themselves you know a stock's historic high was fifty dollars but then it declines rapidly the next thought in an investor's mind is well, once my stock gets back to fifty i'll sell and that is hope hope Okay, well, we're going to take our last commercial break, so we're going to take the break, come back. We'll be wrapping up this and proving investor behavior. After we come back from break, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so we've been talking this whole hour about improving investor behavior and as dad said the commercial break we've been talking about all the bad things investors have been doing and i promise you we're getting ready to get to how to improve investor behavior but before we get there i want to talk about Again, the most common and potentially most damaging behavior that investors can have in their portfolio. Number one is an over-concentration in a particular position, and it can lead to unwarranted risk. So again, owning too much gold, owning too much in one particular industrial sector. Too much fixed income. Too much fixed income. Too much cash. That's right. It's important to understand that the market does not generally reward those who take risk that can be diversified away. So the reason why, again, we maintain a balanced philosophy of Davidson Capital Management we've had for the past quarter century and for the next quarter century, we'll continue to have that balanced allocation. Remember that the market is not going to reward those non-diversified huge risks that you take in concentrating in your portfolio in one particular area. And also you have to remember, investors are not adequately rewarded for the additional risk that they're assuming. You know, failure to diversify a portfolio, you know, if a portfolio is not diversified enough, the potential losses may be greater during market downfalls and macroeconomic-driven events. So, again, this is why it's key to have diversification, have a balanced allocation, and, again, to have it actively managed. That's an absolute key. So... How do we correct the behavior? You know, how do investors correct the behavior? Well, first and foremost is having an asset allocation, an initial asset allocation model, and an ongoing asset allocation model, and an allocation model that is rebalanced. It's not set it 
and forget it because we have seen that more times than we can count doing portfolio Set it and forget reviews. it is, is one of the, the most common asset allocation that is typically found with uh, a relationship that is more sales-oriented than it is active management-oriented, meaning the investor has a relationship with a full-service broker. Uh, they, they're not in the business of managing portfolios. They, they typically set an initial allocation and when the, when the money's deposited, and they move on. When you buy an annuity, the initial asset allocation is set, and then that's it. You move on. So another way to correct investor behavior is setting and managing realistic expectations. If you're in a moderate allocation that's actively managed, you know, don't don't expect to be seeing a fifteen to twenty percent annualized rate of return. That's just not realistic. I, I, you know, today. When we when I see prospective clients, the issue is not having the fifteen percent plus the the double digit type return expectations like we saw in the late nineteen nineties. Mm-hmm. What it is is it's saying, "Oh, I want a ten percent return, but I don't want, but I only want twenty percent of my money in stocks." That's what we're seeing now. Good there, point. There, there's a there's a aversion for risk, but the 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 return. Uh, expectations are reasonable by and large, but what isn't reasonable is the mix of assets to achieve that return. And that's where we have to say, now, you have to understand, if you want an 8%, 9% return, you're going to have to have 70% of your money in stocks given the current level of interest rates. And that's when the investors say, well, wait a second, I don't want to have 70% of my money in stocks. And so you have to bring down those expectations based on how much risk you're willing to take. So another way investors can help improve their returns and their behavior is maintaining true diversification. Not diversifying in multiple companies in one industrial sector. It's having mid-cap asset classes, large-cap asset classes, small-cap asset classes in a multitude of different industries. Foreign and domestic. Foreign and domestic. Fixed income and equity cash holdings, maintain that true diversification. Another great way to help improve returns, and Jeff, I know you said this earlier in the hour, dollar cost averaging into investments. If you have a 401k, if you have an IRA, if you have a taxable account, setting up monthly contributions, or if you're in a 401k, per pay period contributions. We know in 25 years of business, we've had clients that have been with us from the very beginning, and we can go back and look at the two different clients in the same allocation model, one client that's putting in money every month, another client that doesn't put another dollar in after their initial investment and the rates of return and the same allocation model is shocking we've seen dollar cost averaging work with our own eyes with our own client base it's somewhere it's somewhere between two and three percent per year compounded which doesn't sound like a lot but get out of cash that's a difference between a 7% compounded return, and a 10% compounded return. And that adds up to serious money over the long period. Absolutely. Another way to help improve your returns, staying in the market. Now, again, it's time in, not timing. And if you have a proper allocation, you have an asset allocation model, you have true diversification in your dollar cost averaging, even when we have very choppy waters, you know, 
again, what we're trying to convey is the all-in, all-out strategy is not going to work because you're never going to be able to time it perfectly either way. So if you have an active, actively managed, balanced allocation over the long term, you will be rewarded. And finally, and I, I, God, this point is so good. I'm glad it's the last point. Investors need to stay focused on their goals that they have for their nest egg in their portfolio and not be focused on the markets and the day-to-day gyrations. And th- stay focused on your long-term goals. I cannot say that any stronger or clearer. And that is so hard to do in an environment now where we are saturated in media. It is. Via it is. television and gazillion channels of TV the internet, whether it's on a computer sitting at our desk at work, a computer sitting on our desk at home, or our smartphones that are tied into CNN news feeds or whatever, or CNBC, CNBC news feeds, Market Watch. There's, you have to consume media uh, lightly. Well, go on a diet. <laughs> <laughs> the Atkins diet of. Uh, of uh, media consumption, too much of too much media can lead to being paralyzed making decisions. And we've learned from this Dalbar study of psychological effects on investing and what creates poor investment returns is the lack of being able to make a decision because you're being paralyzed by fear. So, Dad, I'm glad we kept you awake during this presentation, just barely, but it's something that I've been thinking about all week. I wanted to get some good, you know, meaty statistics and just information to pass along and the psychological effects and, and how they can affect both positively and negatively a portfolio. So we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend into your financial health. We'll talk to you next week.